The reading is from Corinthians 1, chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We are in the fifth and final part of our series called Living Life as Lutherans. How many come from a Lutheran background? Just to kind of get a... Okay, that bodes about right for our percentages, I think, as far as we can tell uh, from our congregation. A little under half, maybe, that, that have a Lutheran background, um, which means the majority of our folks come from a different uh, denomination, different tradition, uh, or maybe uh, no or little church background at all. And so we kind of have a great collection of people from various uh, backgrounds and traditions. And so we get a lot of questions uh, regarding the Lutheran Church, both from people that have a Lutheran background and, and people that don't, just about how those practices relate to or differ from other people's practices. And so in this series, we've been looking not just at those practices, but um, to the, the foundations of that and what that means for our life as followers of Christ. So you see that sometimes we just say, Alleluia. You know, we know our church as Alleluia, but it's Alleluia Lutheran, and we are proud of that, the Lutheran part, and we live that out, that tradition and that, um, that, that theology, that kind of uh, branch within the Christian, um, the whole Christian church. The cornerstone that you see in this picture is just out this door, door one, and so I encourage you to take a look at that as you go out. There's four dates on there. Three of them relate to each one of the building phases that we did, phase one, two, and then finally being in this space, phase three. So you'll see those dates on there, but at the very top is a date that I want you to take note of, June 26th, we just passed June 26th, right, 1994, 25 years ago is when we were officially chartered as a congregation of the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And so, happy birthday, hallelujah. It is your birthday. You are 25 years old. 25 years young, right? You can officially rent a car. So, congratulations. You don't have to pay that extra exorbitant fee. Uh, well, we are going to be recognizing and celebrating that in various ways uh, as we continue in this, this year uh, as we mark our 25th anniversary. We are, uh, as I mentioned, a Lutheran church, and so we've been looking at some of those Lutheran aspects over the past few weeks as we've talked about baptism and prayer, good works and salvation and grace. And today we look at the sacrament of Holy Communion. Sacrament, let's take a look at that word, sacrament. You see in that word, what's the first part? Sacra, which, what's some words related to that? Sacred, 
right? When we think of sacred, we think of something holy, literally something set apart. And so, like, God set apart the people of Israel. He had a holy purpose for them within his greater uh, plan for the world, for creation. Something that is sacred is, is set apart is um, to, to communicate something from God. And so we have sacraments within the church. Luther defined a sacrament. Um, Luther, who came out of actually the Roman Catholic tradition, he was not Lutheran. Um, just like Christ wasn't Christian, Christ was, he, Jesus was a Jewish person. Uh, Luther, um, not on the same level as Jesus, I'm not making that connection, but, uh, but Luther, in the same way, he, he, we see his name now in the Lutheran church, he'd be rolling over in his grave because he, it was his adversaries, the people that kind of thought like him and, and held to those similar uh, understandings that were called by the adversaries Lutherans. It was a derogatory comment. And so Luther said, we are not Lutherans. We don't follow Luther. We follow Christ. We are Christians. So Luther would probably be turning over his grave to know that, well, here we are as the Lutheran church. But here we are. And, uh, and it means something within that. And we are followers of Christ, not of Luther. But the Luther and some of the reformers and those traditions do have an impact on who we are. We're very proud of what that means. Martin Luther defined a sacrament in three ways. One, it is something that Jesus commands us to do. So when Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had died and he rose, he appeared to them and he passed on the baton, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So baptism is commanded by Christ, and we're going to experience baptism a little bit later. Holy Communion, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So he commanded us to receive the bread and the wine, and to do that, to remember him. Secondly, a sacrament contains the word and the promise of God. So in baptism, we are made children of God. We are received through the waters of grace. We are marked with the cross of Christ. We are connected to that saving act of Jesus on the cross. One time that we are baptized, and, and we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, one baptism that, that um, is that sign of grace that we are connected to God's saving work. In Holy Communion, we hear the words of Jesus. We share the words of institution, the story in the night in which our Lord is betrayed. And we talk about that before we receive communion. And then when you come up, you hear the words of Jesus. This is the body of Christ given for you. He said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. And then third is the is a, it's connected to a physical element, a common element. So God uses, chooses water uh, as a means to communicate his grace in baptism. In Holy Communion, he uses the elements of bread and wine. And so it's connected to a physical element. Different traditions uh, have different understandings of what is going on within Holy Communion. Those of you who maybe came out of a Roman Catholic background or are familiar with that, and you celebrate the Mass as a part of worship, 
uh, it's called Mass because the, when you do that, it's the celebration of Holy Communion. And in Holy Communion, they believe in so, that's what's going on there is something called transubstantiation. There's a 50-cent word for you, right? Let's try saying that together. Transubstantiation. Yeah, we like to use big words in, in, the, in religious speak. Uh, but basically, what's going on here is that the bread and the wine, you know, when, when the priest is up there and up front, and, and sometimes the, the priest is speaking down, some, some of the congregations will still do this, he's like speaking into the elements, and they believe, and then they'll, sometimes they'll ring bells, and there's this whole kind of mysterious thing going on around it, because they believe that as they speak these words, and as they celebrate this mass, that the physical elements of bread and wine are actually becoming the body and blood of Christ. So actually becoming body and blood of Christ. And that's why you have to handle the elements very carefully, why sometimes the priest will finish off the, the wine at the end, not a drop can be spilled on the ground or anything. And so it's this very, very um, special understanding of those elements and what those are. On the other end of the spectrum... You have other traditions that say, well, this is just a symbol of what Jesus gave to us. And so there's a guy named Zwingli who was uh, one of the reformers that talked about that this is a symbol of a grace that has already taken place. And we're simply remembering that in this. So on one side, really becoming, this is really becoming the blood, uh, body and blood of our Lord Jesus and we're, we're almost like we're re-sacrificing Jesus because we're bringing our sins up um, to, to Jesus. And there's all this preparation and everything that goes with that. On the other side, this is just a symbol of a grace that has happened. Luther was in between those two. He didn't really care for, for the others' understandings on, on either end of the pendulum swing. But he said, Jesus is really present here. Because he said he would be. He said, this is my body. This is my blood given and shed for you. And so there's something special that's going on here. Jesus is present in, with, and under the forms of bread and wine. And so Luther called that the real presence of Christ. And that has a, an effect. It's in, important what is going on here. This is a sacred uh, event that is happening here as you come forward. And God is speaking to you and speaking into your life forgiveness and grace, mercy and acceptance. Luther and Zwingli, they, they uh, went butted heads on a lot of things, but one thing I think they did agree on was fashion. They liked the same hat. <laughs> Why do we do this? Why do we come and receive bread and wine together? What is the significance of that. Well, Luther asked that question in his small catechism. What is the benefit of such eating and drinking? He says, the words given for you and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin show us that forgiveness of sin and life and salvation are given to us in this sacrament through these words. Because where there is forgiveness of sin, there is also life and salvation. Um, oh, I skipped a part, didn't I? Yeah, I want to share a story with you before I go into that. It was, it was my uh, first Sunday 
in my, uh, my first congregation. I was newly ordained, and this was, this was it. This was my first chance to lead worship. It was my first chance to preach, and so I was in my office. This is um, the St. Paul Lutheran Church. It's in rural Pontiac, Illinois, actually a little town outside of Pontiac called Rowe. If you ever go down 55, it's flat, 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 and then there's this big mound that's a landfill, and that we were in the shadow of that, basically. I mean, the, we were there before the landfill. The landfill um, actually grew exponentially during my time there. And um, since that time, the, ch the church, we started talking about moving, and then shortly after um, I left, they, they then s began to talk more about that and eventually relocated. Um, so we're not in the shadow of the landfill anymore. But this was the original... Um, church building uh, that I served at, and it was my first Sunday, I'm in my office, getting ready, reading through my sermon again, a little nervous, and the person that was in charge of communion came in, panic looked on her face, and she said, have you seen the communion wine? I said, isn't it in the refrigerator, in the kitchen? It was there a couple days ago. She said, no. We went and looked. Sure enough, no, it wasn't there in the refrigerator where it was supposed to be. I said, well, maybe somebody already, maybe already, somebody's already setting it up. Let's take a look in the sacristy. We went. We looked. It wasn't in there. We looked on the altar. No wine. We returned to the kitchen just on the off chance that maybe the wine would magically reappear somehow, and it wasn't there. Now there's 15 minutes before the start of service. And it was Communion Sunday. We celebrated Communion like once a month at that time. We're like, uh, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I didn't have a bottle of wine sitting around the house or anything. I can't go get anything. And she said, I'll go into town and I'm going to pick some up and I'll, I'll get back here as soon as I can. And we were out in the country, so it wasn't like, you know, it's just around the corner. She had to go into town get it and i'm thinking in my mind like i just came from minnesota and in minnesota you can't buy alcohol on a sunday morning like if we can't buy it here we are up a creek but she said i'll, I'll take care of it and she left i started the service i'm sure my voice was cracking you know i'm doing my message and then i kind of casually she snuck in behind and she just kind of smiled at me and like, okay, we got this under control. And we had bread, we had the wine, and we were able to celebrate communion together that day. But the mystery remained. What happened to the wine? Well, in those days, we're a little country church. Out, nobody's got to mess around with the church, right? So the doors were just left unlocked. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So most likely somebody came in, wandered around, found the, the, the wine in the refrigerator and uh, decided to have a little celebration of their own. Ironic that something that is given to, to, um, for us to remember the forgiveness of sins was stolen by somebody. I just hope that they had maybe a little bit of bread and the words of Jesus there before them so they, they could really fully appreciate the sacrament that was going on there. Why do we do this? Why do we celebrate communion? Why the bread and the wine? What is happening there? 
Jesus said, it is the words given for you and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. In that forgiveness of sin, we receive life and salvation. Allie had a really difficult childhood. Her mom was physically abusive sometimes, verbally abusive more often toward her and even toward her brother who was autistic. Her, her parents were successful. I mean, they were doctors. I'm sure from the outside things looked good, but her mom had experienced abuse herself. And this is sadly and often the case. That's what she knew, and so that's what she perpetuated. The cycle continued, and she was abusive towards her kids. Allie went off to college. She thought, finally, I'm away from it, but on a weekly basis, her mom would call to talk with her, and invariably the conversation would turn toward her degrading her daughter for choices that she had made, for um, her academic choices, for her looks, her appearance, various things. The abuse continued. Finally, after college, Allie got married and moved across country, and she had a child of her own, Sophie. She thought, maybe finally now my mom will soften. She so desired to have a good, healthy relationship with her mother, but that just wasn't happening. It wasn't possible. And her daughter, Sophie, as she was growing up, she was about five years old. She was pretty independent-minded. And when they would get together with her mom, again, she saw the cycle repeating because her mom couldn't handle her daughter's, her granddaughter's independence and, and um, her, her um, actions. And so she began to talk negatively again, but this time towards Sophie. And this, again, just hindered the relationship. And Allie went to therapist. She sought help. She's, she wanted to have this good relationship, but it, it wasn't happening from her mom's end. Her mom wasn't seeing that, wasn't recognizing that, wasn't facing up to that. And in that time where Allie was just trying to find healing within herself, because forgiveness is something that we do, it doesn't depend on, it's not dependent on the other person. It's dependent upon what is happening within us to release us from that. Otherwise, we would be in chains to anybody that didn't ask for forgiveness. During that time that Allie was dealing with this, her mom, now 73, suffered a series of devastating strokes and entered into a vegetative state. And Allie's father and brother had since passed on, and so the care for Allie's mom fell to her. She was bitter, understandably, toward her mom, but yet she still went and was there at her bedside. She would read to her, spent hours by her bed. She didn't know if her mom knew that she was there. She didn't know if she understood anything that she was reading or anything that was going on. But nonetheless, for her own sake, she was there for day in, day out, for hours on end. 
caring for her mom. One day, she was just so exhausted, she laid her head on her mom's chest and began to sob. And something changed in that moment. Something released within her. She felt this, this anger, this bitterness, this weight that had been there between her and her mom that she had understandably struggled with lift and dissipate. She had forgiven her mom. It wasn't something that she was able to do from her own strength. She had tried for a long time, for years, and was unable to do it. It wasn't something that her mom sought out. She didn't ask for forgiveness. She was unable to do that at this point. Who knows what would have happened. But something in that moment, as she rested, exhausted, released. And she realized that the bitterness was gone. Her memory was still there. The hurt was still there. But the bitterness and the anger that had so weighed upon her life was gone. Martin Luther said, where there is forgiveness of sin, there is also life and salvation. Allie experienced that. Life, new life. Salvation. Not, not salvation from what had happened, but salvation for the here and the now and for going forward. That weight was lifted. When we come to receive Holy Communion, Jesus invites us to come with whatever is weighing upon us, with whatever we're dealing with. Maybe we're feeling bitter towards somebody. Maybe a relationship is struggling or broken. Maybe we're harboring something towards someone else. Maybe we feel regret. Whatever it is, Jesus says to come Come to him, to rest in him, to hear that word of promise and assurance. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. We come together one-on-one -on -one and we commune with God, but we come together with the community, with those around us and with those who follow God who trusts in Jesus' promise from around the world, from various places, nations, cultures, from various times, from those who have come before us to those who will come after with us, we gather at the table where we are broken, but where we receive God's grace. Jesus is really present there and meets us in that moment so that we then can be those who live life, lives of grace, so that we can find within ourselves the grace and forgiveness of God to be able, not in our own strength, but in God's strength, to be able to extend that to others 
be a sacrament to them, a communication of God's presence and grace. May God strengthen us through his body and blood, through this gift of his grace, so that we may be God's presence, God's word, God's promise in the world as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you gave us this new covenant, this gift of yourself, your body and blood and the bread and the wine. And you speak to us in that and you say, this is what I have done for you. Do this to remember me. Do this to remember that. Lord, in that gift, may we find healing and hope and peace. May we ourselves be strengthened to be extensions of your grace and your forgiveness to others and your servants within your world. We pray in your name. Amen.